Amen. What a privilege we have to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Isn't it wonderful not just to go to church, but to meet with God on a Sunday morning? And we get to package this up and take it home. Amen? Amen. Because we all have Jesus in us. So we get this every day, every hour. Amen. But there's just something special being together with folks who love the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's just show our appreciation to Joanna, the worship team this morning. Joanne is a student at Bible College out west in B.C., and we flew her in all this way just for worship this morning. <laughs> and while she's here, she's going to visit her parents. If you haven't had a chance to see the dinner theater, you don't want to miss it. Really, it's a wonderful evening. It's called Away from the Manger. Uh, we've, we've subtitled it uh, A Savoir Christmas because the whole Savoir family is involved, and uh, so we could not do it without them and uh, just many others who've worked hard to put together this uh, wonderful presentation that I know you're going to enjoy. Love the quartet. Yes, you've got to come and see the quartet, which everybody thinks is real until Jenny sings, and that kind of, <laughs> that kind of blows it out of the water. But uh, we're having a great time, and a great time with the cast and all those who are helping. Amen. Well, Christmas is a week away. Who would have thought, eh? Going by so fast. It always, last year didn't seem to go by as fast. This year, it's kind of going by fast again. But it's Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. I love Christmas. In fact, one of my fondest Christmas memories, some of you can relate to this, but I remember, this is like 50 years ago, the highlight of my Christmas would be going to the Halifax Shopping Center and standing in the long line to see Santa Claus. Just couldn't wait to get up on his lap and hear him say those magical words, and what? do you want for Christmas, right? Isn't that exciting? <clears throat> you know, sometimes I think we kind of look at God that way. We kind of see him as Santa Claus. We kind of look at heaven as that big, you know, Amazon.com in the sky, and, and God is kind of there just to, you know, ask us what it is we want, and then we give him this whole list of the things that we need, you know, which really are mostly just wants, but we give them this long list. But I wonder this morning, what do we say? Here we are in the Christmas season. We're moving into the new year. We've probably got some things we're thankful for for 2018, maybe some regrets, maybe some things we planned that didn't quite happen the way we thought. So we're going into a new year. And I wonder if we realize that in this season, it is a time, because God is the God of seasons. He made the seasons. He recognizes the calendar. And I believe this is a time of the year where God really would take us close to himself he would place us upon his knee, close to his heart, and I believe he would ask us the same question this morning. What do you want? What do you want? Now, there's a number of responses that we can give. There's just three that I want to mention this morning as potential responses. But I want to ask you, if God gave you the opportunity, which he will if you'll quiet his heart, to ask you, what do you want, what would your reply be? Now, again, I want to give you three possibilities. The first one I want to give you, I don't recommend, but this is probably the most common response, at least for us in the Western culture, even in the Western church. And that response is, Lord, I want more. I want more. And if I could add in parenthesis, I want more than I already have. There's a word for that. It's called Greed. Greed. You see, greed is the insatiable desire to have more whether I need it or not. 
But greed is not so much, I believe, an evil desire or a bad desire. It really is more of a bad perspective. It's seeing things wrong, not in the light that God would have us see those kind of things. Think about it. Why do we always want more than we already have? And I believe one of the reasons is because we've been deceived into believing that somehow I would be more if I just had more. You ever think that way? If I just had more, then I would be more. If I had more, then I would be happier. Or I would be more satisfied. Or I'd be nicer to be around. Right? I'd be a better husband, a better father, a better child, a better wife. If I, if I just had this or just had that. In fact, we even have that going on in the church sometimes. We say things like, I would be more you know, effective for God if I just had more. Now, Jesus addressed that kind of misscrewed perspective in Luke chapter 12 when a man came to him one day and he said, Master, he said, my brother and I, our father has left us an inheritance and he's not given me my fair share. Will you please talk to him? In other words, will you take up my side of the argument? Because apparently they're both fans of him and gave some weight to his words. Would you tell my brother to share with me? And Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, be alert and guard your heart from greed and always wishing for what you don't have. Your life can never be measured by the amount of things that you possess. Now, why is Jesus so anti-greed? Why does he want us to be aware of this insidious thing that gets a hold of us? Well, I believe one of the reasons is because greed never sees things as a gift from God. Greed always sees things as a substitute for God. And there's a big difference. Have you ever given your child one of those gifts that you've been looking forward to them opening I mean, maybe you have, you know, in your home, you ask the kids, what are some things you want? Back in our day, we used to take the Sears catalog and we would draw circles around things that we wanted to get. We'd put our name on it and then just give it back to mom. And that was a, the way we ordered things. Well, maybe today you just have kids, you know, go to Amazon or send you some pictures or Instagram, whatever. But uh, maybe they got three or four top things, you know, just little kids or, or teenagers. And so you can't get all of them, but you, you pick one. And so here they are, Christmas morning, they got maybe a dozen or more gifts around from aunts and uncles and everybody else, and they're opening gifts, and they come to the one that is really kind of special. You know, you spend a few more extra dollars, or you, you know, went online to find it, whatever it may be, you know they're going to be happy to open it. And so they come to that, and they open it, they unwrap it, and as they unwrap it, they see what it is, and they're thankful, but then even as they unwrap it, now that they know what it is, they're starting to look around for more, Right? And you're thinking, you spoiled little. We've all been there. But you know, I wonder how God looks at us. When we have a God who gives us not only what we need, he gives us above and beyond what we need. But in our culture, we are so prone to, as James says, consuming those things upon our own lusts use them for ourselves, and then after having used what God's given us for ourselves, we're looking around for more. Lord, I need more. I don't, don't have enough. I just need some more. Let me ask you this morning. How can we stop from being that spoiled? 
How can we stop from always wanting what we don't have? I think one of the ways is we can stop focusing on what we don't have and start actually wanting what we already have. Let me say that again. Stop focusing on what we don't have and start wanting what we already have. That might be by way of position. It might be by way of things that you own or your talents or your spiritual gifts. It may even relate relate to your spouse or other important relationships. We need to get back to wanting what we already have. Because as long as you keep looking at more, you're going to keep going after more. The Bible says in Proverbs, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. And it's not just about money, it's just stuff. But be wise enough to control yourself. How many times have we seen somebody who has a good life or a decent life, but we've seen them even lose what they have? or, Or not appreciate what they have. And again, it could be their health, it could be a relationship, a bit of money, whatever it is but they lose what they had because they just can't control wanting more. Wanting something else, someone else, something more to fill whatever that emptiness is inside. Paul said to Timothy, serving God, walking with God, knowing God is what makes us very rich. But here's the key. If we are satisfied with what we already have. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. In fact, if I were to ask you, when are you most happy with what you have, if you're anything like me, the answer would be, when I realize how much I am able to do with what I've got. If I really appreciate where I am, what I have, and really begin to mine the many resources God has given me, I realize how much I really do have. That's why sometimes it's not a bad thing to look at someone who doesn't have as much as you. Maybe he doesn't have your health, doesn't have your family, doesn't have your bank account, your job, whatever it may be. It's good to remind us sometimes of what we do have. You know, I'm so thankful that Vanessa, my wife, and I were at a stage in our life. We're not rich by any means, but we're at a stage in our life where, unlike years past, we're able to do some nice things or have some nice things if we choose to have them. But, you know, something I'm even more thankful for is that we have learned to say no to so many things. So we're free to say yes to God. We're free to say yes as the Lord leads. We're able to look at nice things, and even nice things that other people have. And I rejoice with anybody that has nice things, but I'm so happy for the freedom the Lord offers for us to walk in so that any time as he leads us, he can say, meet that need. He can say, bless that person. He can say, do this, whatever the case may be. And you have the freedom to do that. And there comes a greater richness than anything you could own. Anything you could be tied up with that maybe you can't afford, but society says that you you need those things. Paul says to Timothy, loving money is the first step towards all kinds of trouble. Craving more even pushes some people away from the faith. And it's not just away from the faith as far as backsliding. It can be away from the faith. The scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The enemy would tie us up so that we can't even respond to God. It can push us away from the kingdom and being effective in the kingdom, compounding misery in their lives. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves to give good gifts to his children. 
just like we do to our children. God loves to provide for our needs and even beyond that. But I believe what makes him most proud and makes us most rich is when we are able to live as channels through which God's provisions can flow, that he can use. And, and so if God ever asks you, what do you want? I hope that your answer won't be, I want more than what I already have. And there's a reason for that, and it's found in the second answer. And here's another answer, but it's a better one. It is, I want to do more with what I already have. If I could add that in parenthesis. I want to do more with what I already have. And if you're going to do more with what you have, then you have to change how you look at what you've been given. In Zechariah, God says this, Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I believe the epitome of spiritual selfishness, being spiritually spoiled, is to despise or look down on or, or look at as unimportant or inadequate that which God has been delighted to give you. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows how he's made you, wired you, not just to function in life but in ministry. And yet the enemy, just like in the garden of old, the enemy can get us to look at maybe one thing we don't have or one thing less or one thing somebody else has, and we dismiss everything we have. And we don't understand the significance of what we do have by the grace of God. Jesus said in Luke 16, the one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with what? Greater responsibilities. But those who cheat, or misuse, the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. Jesus isn't saying that it means the Father loves you any less, but he says, I just can't trust you with more. I want you to think for a moment about what you have. Just think for a moment about what you have. It almost sounds like a Thanksgiving Sunday, but just think about what you have. And if your tendency is to think that what I have is so little, it's, it's just inadequate, it's not enough. You know, yeah, I can see a couple things, and I'm thankful for this and that, but, but I don't really have that much. I'm not very talented. I don't have much money in the bank. I you know, don't seem to have any spiritual gifts, whatever it may be. If that's your attitude, then let me let you know in a secret. It will never become more than what you already have if that's the way you look at it. I wonder how many of us sitting here today are thinking, you know, God, I'd love to do more for you, but I just can't do much unless you give me more. Just can't do much unless you give me more. And we just kind of settle for this lifestyle or ineffectiveness, and we basically what we're doing in our heart is saying, God, I would love to, but it's your fault. This is all we got. I look in the mirror, and I'm not that impressed. And... But I really believe Jesus wants us to understand that the little that he gives us, it's not to punish us. It's for us to practice with. You, you see, the little that he gives us, it's not, it's not meant to be a trial. I think a better word would be it's a tryout. And just think back over this past year. What are the things God has put in your hand? 
Has he maybe given you a little bit more money than before? Maybe this year, the year before, whatever, you've had more money. What would you do with it? Did the Lord give you a spiritual gift? Did he activate something in you by way of, of, of reaching out, stepping out, some of the things we've been doing in the past while? But maybe today you look at it and think, yeah, it's, man, it's been a long time since I've really stepped out again and ministered to somebody. What did you do with it? What did you do with the little that God placed into your hands? What did you show God by your actions with what he gave you? You see, one thing we have to understand is that Jesus is a master at wrapping big opportunities in little resources. He's a master at doing incredible things with apparently what seems to be so small. You take Mother Teresa, four foot nothing, stands in front of the UN giving a speech. Why? Because she's a, a little woman of God that he used to turn a city upside down, to reach hundreds of thousands, not just in Calcutta, but around the world, those who were poor and whatever the, whatever the needs were that she ministered to, all of those needs. Little became much, as the song says, when you put it in the master's hands. Don't call anything little in the sense of inadequate, not enough, when God has trusted it to you. In Luke 19, Jesus tells a story about ten servants who were each given the same amount of money and then told by the master, I'm going on a long journey, but put this to work while I'm gone. And when he came back sometime later, he gathered all the servants and he began to ask them to give account for what they had been given. And one servant told him that he actually got a tenfold return on the investment that the master gave him. And Jesus said this in verse 17, well done, you have what? Shown that you can be trusted with the little that I gave to you. You see the connection? All the servants received the same. Friends, every single one of us here this morning, we stand before the cross of Jesus Christ on level ground. Every single one of us here this morning, we are all number one sons and daughters of God. There is no number two, number three. There is no pecking order. We're given different responsibilities. We're placed in different stations in life, in the church, in society. It's all for the kingdom, but we all have the same access to the same Heavenly Father. We are all have the same access to the boundless riches that are ours in Jesus Christ. We all serve the same God who loves us all the same and is faithful to do and to bring to completion what he's begun in us. We all have the same God, the same promise. But Jesus says in this story that this particular one showed, demonstrated that he can be trusted with the little that was given to him. And if you're here this morning and you feel like God has given you a little by way of your position, by way of your talents or your resources, then listen again to what Jesus said. You have shown that you can be trusted with the little that I gave to you. What God has given to you, it's not unimportant. It's not inadequate. He has trusted you with big responsibilities. But if you always see what you have, if you always see who you are as just insignificant, I'm not like this person. Oh, if I had what they had, if I made what they I can tell you right now, if you made what they made, it wouldn't make a difference. No, no, no. Because if you're not faithful to a small bank account, you won't be faithful to the big one. I can promise you. Because why? You're seduced by the same spirit of our culture that says, you need this, buy this, own this, have this. 
And if you don't master that at this level, you won't master it at this level. All you'll have is more debt. It's the same spirit. The Lord says, I want you to show me with my help that you can manage what I give you in small ways and I will give you more. But if you always see what you have as not enough, then very rarely will you do anything with it. In fact, what most people do, because they don't think they have much, is they just spend it on themselves. We consume it. And I'm not just talking money. I'm talking everything. What do we do with our health? What do we do with our mobility, the fact that we can jump in a car and go places? Do we do ministry? Do we look for people to visit, the fact that we have health? You know, we're not bound in a bed somewhere that we can't go anywhere. What do we do with all that God has given us in the 24 hours we have in a day? Is it all about us, or are there channels that God can work through to touch lives in creative ways? Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians 3. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. That's the Lord's promise. Now, I know there's bound to be somebody here this morning thinking, well, Pastor, that's not really me today. I don't live in the land a little anymore. You know, I've been alive a lot of years maybe, and I've got a decent bank account, and I've got some position or status at work, or, or maybe I've you know, been involved in ministry, or I've got some you know, spiritual gifts going on, whatever the case may be. Pastor, I have lots. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. But just think about this. What you think is lots is still little in God's eyes compared to what he has for you tomorrow based on your faithfulness today. So if you feel like you've got lots, thank the Lord. If you say, hey, I've got tenfold, thank the Lord. But do you think tenfold's enough for the Lord? The Lord said he gave increase to some 10, some 30, some 60, some 100. It doesn't stop. Because you see, in the kingdom, we keep receiving and sowing. Receiving and sowing. Because why? If the Lord finds me faithful in the little he's given to me, then imagine how many lives he's going to affect by giving me more. Because I'm going to live before the Lord open-handed as he pours it in. It just goes out. And I just live on the... On the, on the uh, profit you might say on the surplus because he can just pour in pour in pour in i want to do more with what i already have i hope that's our prayer this christmas season i hope that's our prayer as we move into the new year because i want to encourage you if you're sitting here this morning tempted to think i don't have very much repent of that don't measure by what you may think by the way our culture measures because we just think automatically i don't have much in the bank that is a small portion. For example, you lose your health, and then you think about how much money you want. No, no, you want your health, right? You want health in your family. There's many ways that God has blessed and provided for us all. And I encourage our prayer to be, Lord, help me to look into this new year recognizing what I do have. And I may have squandered some things, but I thank you, Lord, as your word says, you are even able to restore what the canker worm, what the enemy has eaten away. God, is that good? Maybe we've made mistakes. Maybe we squandered things this past year. God doesn't write us off. He says, okay, let's begin where you are now. Let's start where you are. 
And let me begin to let me begin to just build maturity in you and let me begin to see how I can trust you as I work with you and I will give you more. There is seasons of more ahead. Do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And as meditating on that simple verse this week, I don't know if this is the meaning of it or not, but what caught my heart, it's almost like God was saying, I've just put this little seed into your care. Just this little bit of trust that you with. But I can't wait for you to see what comes out of that little bit. I can't wait to blow your mind. I can't wait to give you an example, a lesson of how the kingdom works. That it's not about you and what you produce. It's about your faithfulness to what I've given you that I can produce. And you'll be amazed. In fact, I tell you, friends, when it happens, you begin to get addicted to it. Because you realize this is so awesome what God can do with the little that he gives if I'm faithful with it. Never look as, as in insignificant what God has trusted to you because it's a big responsibility. And he'll reward you by showing you and giving you more as you can be trusted. So let's allow the work to begin. And so if God's to ask you this morning, and he does, what do you want? Think about that. What's your heart's desire? As you move into the new year, we, we get caught up in, in, a, in the culture, you know, of, of a New Year's resolution. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't really want a New Year's resolution. I want to hear the voice of God and be led by him into the new year. I want to know, Lord, what are you asking of me? What do you want to grow in me? We'll probably talk in a few weeks time. Lord, what's your assignment for me this year? Lord, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that you want to grow in me, what is it? I want to go into this new year with a clear sense of a couple things. And God will give you that word. I remember one year, every year I just have different things that I feel the Lord's working on. A couple years ago, I just felt the Lord say, you're not going to believe this. But he said, he said, Paul, I just want you to grow in kindness. Just want you to grow in kindness. I'm saying, you sure you're talking to me, Lord? <laughs> but the Lord knows our heart. And, and that was such, and in fact, it was interesting because I think I, I turned, it was either a song or a person, but I turned the radio on shortly after, and a person was talking about kindness. And I said, what a coincidence. Lord, give me a sign. But the Lord will give you a word. In reading his word, in listening prayer, journaling, quieting your heart before the Lord, the Lord will tell you what it is he wants to grow in you. So ask him. And so this morning you might say, well, I want more than I already have. I hope we've dealt with that, so that's not your prayer. But hope at least you'd say, Lord, I want to do more with what you've given me. But we all know what the ultimate request is, don't we? If the Lord would say to you, what do you want this year? I know my prayer, and I'm sure this is yours as well, but it's very simple. The best response simply is, Lord, I want you. I want more of you. And I want you like I've never had you in this past year. You know, the reason I believe that that's the best answer is because if you were to ask God what he wants more than anything else, you know what he would say? I want you. <laughs> I want you more than anything else. And I want you to want me. That's what I want. In John 15, Jesus said, you must remain in union with me, for I remain in union with you. I never leave you or forsake you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life 
intimately joined to mine. Now, we tend to read that verse sometimes as a commentary on how we can accomplish much for the Lord. And, of course, we can accomplish things for the Lord when we remain close to him, but I don't believe that's really what Jesus is trying to communicate. Because the main word in that verse is what? It's remain. Other translations use the word abide. And the word remain in the Greek language is actually translated in a phrase, and it means this, stay with me. That's what Jesus is saying. If you will just stay with me. Just think about the last time that you had some time with the Lord. We all have these battles in our mind, these thoughts that come across our mind. But the last time you were with the Lord, whether you just decided, well, I've got a few minutes to carve out this morning, so I'm going to read a chapter, or maybe I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes and quiet my heart and, and just do some listening prayer or journaling, whatever it may be. But then you realize there's so much to go on through the day. You know, if you're like me, it doesn't matter what time of the morning it is. It can be 5 in the morning, it can be 7, whatever the case may be. But when you're awake, you're awake, and your mind immediately starts to race of all the things you've got to do. And you try to get back to sleep if it's early, and you can't. So you just think and think and think and think, and here's what you've got to do. We're all probably wired that way. But when you're having some time with the Lord, those thoughts begin to bombard you. And you, re- and you think, I got to go. Okay, I got 10 minutes in, or I got a chapter in, or I got whatever the case may be. I got to go. And if you do that, I can promise you, whether you hear the words or not, and I'm sure all of us have, and if you have, you can raise your hand with mine. But as you're leaving the room, as you're leaving the quiet place, in your spirit, you hear the words, stay with me. Anybody? Just five more minutes. Just, just stay with me. And maybe your response is, Lord, I would love to, but I can't. I've just got so much to do. And then the Lord would say, well, then let's, let's stay together. Let's walk through the day together. Let, let, let's, let, just take me with you today. Take me with you every day. I just want to be with you. Just stay with me through your day. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, that sounds kind of cheesy. I don't think God's that. <laughs> I don't think he talks about me that way. Well, I beg to differ. King David was a man who just enjoyed a wonderful intimacy and a love for God, the very same kind that Jesus wants to have with you and me. And in fact, I would suggest even more so, even deeper. Why? Because now through the cross of Christ, we have open, free access 24-7 to the very throne room of God. And listen to what David said in Psalm 27. He said, Lord, my heart heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, say it with me, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. How many have had the experience of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit say, come, come spend some time with me. Come away with me. David said, I love you so much. My heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. How do you know that you really want more of Jesus? How do you know that? Because we say we do, right? I mean, we sing it, we come to church, and we, we sing it, and sometimes maybe with one eye open because we kind of half-heartedly believe it, and we're, or we're wrestling like, Lord, I really do, but I kind of don't, and I wish you'd help me to want you more. How do you really know that you want more of Jesus? I believe very simply, one of the ways that you know that you want more of God is you are finding him more. Do you hear me? 
one of the ways you know beyond lip service that you truly want God is you're finding Him. That's what the Lord said in Jeremiah, of course. He said, I will be found by you, says the Lord. You find Him. So if you want to move beyond just the platitudes, then you can measure it by whether or not you're finding God. You see, you find Him in the morning when you take some time before you start your day. Or if that morning doesn't work best for you, maybe as the evening is winding down, you're finding Him at nighttime. Or you're finding Him through the course of the day. You're finding Him at work when you allow Him to speak to your heart. You find Him at the superstore when you're getting groceries and you allow Him to highlight somebody to you that He wants you to talk to or pray for or show love in some kind of way. You find Him. It's in the middle of your stress or the middle of your struggles that you don't just turn away from Him. You don't just put your nose to the grind and try to make it work out. But you seek Him in the midst of that and you find Him. That's one of the ways that you know you want Him is you're finding Him in new ways, in regular ways. You might say, well, Paul, I just feel like I'm chasing after God, but I never find Him like I want to. You ever feel sometimes like, you know, God's playing hide-and-seek? Like, Lord, I'm, I mean, I'm seeking after You, or I'm chasing after You. And one of the reasons probably that you're not finding Him is because you got it all backward. You see, you chase somebody who doesn't want to get caught, Right? I chased my wife until she caught me. That's how it works. You chase someone who doesn't want to get caught, but you pursue someone who wants to be found. And there's a big difference. See, what's the difference, Paul? The words sound the same. No, when you chase, you're exerting energy. There's stress. There's, there's just this unknown, like I'm just running, running, trying. You're kind of burning yourself out. When you pursue, as we're called to pursue the Lord, what are you doing? You are backing away from the chasing, and you understand, as the Lord said through Isaiah, that it is in quietness and confidence that you will find your strength. It's in the quietness. That's why you can't find the Lord when you just take Him on to your day and, and try to, you know, I hear people saying, don't get me wrong, I mean, not that the Lord can't meet us there, but I hear people saying, well, I just kind of have a special time with God in my car. Or I just have a special time with God, you know, when I'm doing whatever the case may be. And it doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't meet us there. But friends, you need time when there are no distractions. Can you imagine how long your marriage would last if you said, my wife and I have quality time every time we drive in the car. I don't talk to her other than that. I don't see her. I don't hear her. Don't know if she exists. But when we're in the car, oh boy, we have a wonderful marriage. Wouldn't last too long. Yes, your wife can talk to you in the car, but you better have more than that. And the same with the Lord. The Lord is saying, I'm not asking you to chase me. I'm asking you to pursue me. I'm asking you to quiet your heart and listen for the still, small voice. Because when all the other stuff around you, you pull away from there, you will hear me speak to you. And if you feel like you're going after God, but you can't find him, then let me ask you this. When you find him, or when you're pursuing Him to find Him, what is it you'd rather hear from Him when you finally get Him? Would you rather hear the words, here you go. Would you rather hear the words, here I am. Here I am. Can you imagine if, you're, if you had somebody that was just chasing after you 24-7, every day, all day, and every time they caught up to you, all they did was ask you for something. 
Do you think you would open the door to them every time they knocked? I wouldn't. If that's all they want. And I think we can see ourselves maybe in that same picture. We wonder sometimes why we can't find God. But He's found by those who seek Him wholeheartedly. So one of the ways you know that you desire God more is that you are finding Him. And I really hope we get hold of that this morning. It's not a profound thought, but I want you to think about that. Look over this last year, over this last week. How many times have you found the Lord? Because if you really want Him, you will find Him, he says. If you'll search for me with your whole heart. Not just for the stuff. You find me, everything's available to you. But if you're just looking for the stuff and when you get it, you leave me, the odds are you're not going to find me a whole lot. I'm not going to allow myself to be found by you because you don't want me. You just want more stuff. And I'm not going to give you that. Why? Because God knows from history, human experience is, the more God gives you, just like the nation of Israel, what did Israel do? They prostituted themselves and fell in love with what God gave them. And God said, I've got to stop giving you stuff because it's just driving you farther from me. And finally, another way that we know that we are actually desiring God more is by how we talk to God and how we talk about God. You ever notice that you don't talk to a stranger the same way that you talk to somebody you know? Somebody that you love? Maybe somebody that you're intimate with? Can you imagine me after service going up to the welcome area there and, and maybe finding some lady who's been to Glad Tidings for the first time and talking to her like I talk to my wife? I mean, how would that go over? Imagine me going up to a lady I don't know and saying, hey, babe, how was the service? wouldn't go over well. Now, I don't talk to my wife that way either. Not a whole lot. But the point is this. The more intimate my relationship with God is, the more intimate my tone is going to be. The more intimate my conversation is going to be. I say this in all kindness, but just a way of example because we all know it. If I hear somebody talking with the Lord as a man upstairs, I know you don't know him. You don't know him. He's not the man upstairs. He's my Father. He's my God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's dear to me. He's precious to me. How do you talk about the Lord? How do you talk to Him? It'll give you an idea of exactly where you are. Listen to Psalm 63. God, you are my God. I search for you. I thirst for you like someone in a dry, empty land where there's no water. That's what wanting more of God sounds like. That's what a heart for God sounds like. I began this message this morning talking about my favorite Christmas memory as a child, waiting in line to see Santa Claus to tell him what I want. And by the way, this is another topic. Lay off of Santa. I love Santa Claus. Just putting it out there. We don't worship Santa Claus. Santa Claus is the man, a part of the Christmas symbols based on a wonderful, godly man who really just comes to reflect the heart of God, the benevolent heart of God. That's all he is. But if I could tell you this morning what I think God would say to you and me, 
in this Christmas season, a season where, yeah, it's busy, but we also maybe have a bit of downtime or a time that we're, we're caused to reflect more on what it really means that Jesus came to this world, what it really means to, to know our Savior. I believe what God would say to each of us this morning is this. I love you. And I love you more than you know. And not to sound corny, but I see you when you're sleeping. And I know when you're awake. That's what the Lord says. It's in the book of Hezekiah. There's no book of Hezekiah in case you're... <laughs> but we have a heavenly Father who says, I have every good and precious gift that you'll ever need. It's there for you. Because I love you. I just want to know, do you want me as much as I want you? Because I want you. And I love you. And so I want to ask us very simply this morning, that, that simple question. What do you want for Christmas? If Christmas is about Jesus, if it's about the gifts that he is and the gifts he continues to give us, then I want to encourage you this morning before we leave to simply quiet your heart in the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, this past year is the past. I'm in the present. As I look toward the future, Lord, this is what I want. I don't just want more stuff. I, I just don't want more than what I already have, whether I need it or not. Lord, first of all, I want to begin by wanting what you've already given me. I want to do more with what you've given me. Let me ask you, as you look over this past year, what has the Lord placed into your hands by way of your health, your relationship, the precious person that you're married to, or the children that you have, whatever it may be? What has the Lord given to you, and how have you stewarded that? Because the Lord isn't saying, I'm not going to give you anything. I don't want to provide for your needs. No, no, no. He's saying, I want you to show me with my help that I can trust you with what I've given to you. And if I can, I will give you more. But I don't want to spoil you. I don't, the things I've given you already, you've, you've squandered and they just cause you to drift from me and not realize how much you need me. You need to know that you need me. You need to know what I've given to you may seem little, but I rejoice. I rejoice in the work that can begin in that. If you will just be faithful, whether it's your health, whether it's a spiritual gift I've given to you, whether it's a ministry I've exposed you to and awakened something in your heart, whether it's something I've called you to through my word, whatever it may be, what have I placed within you? What have you been walking in but maybe you've slipped back away from? I want you to begin to do more with what I've given you if you lean on me. And most important, may our prayer be, Lord, I just want you. In fact, that's the best place to start. I just want you, and I want you more than I've ever wanted you before. I want you. Would you bow your heads with me? Just listen to the words of this song, and as we sing this song, would you just respond to the probing of the Holy Spirit this morning, what he's putting his finger on, and recognize that every single one of us here this morning, we may be more senior in the Lord, walk with the Lord longer or less time. But we are all dearly loved by God. We have all been given gifts. We 
we all have a calling and an anointing upon our lives to live and function as kingdom people in this world that has so much need that God wants to use us as channels to meet financial needs, uses as channels to meet spiritual needs, to bring healing to sick bodies, encouragement to hearts through the gifts of the Spirit. He has so much for us. The Lord would say, would you just start being faithful in what I've given to you? And would you seek me and desire me, pursue me, and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. Would you just make that determination this morning as we just sing this song? Just feel free to remain bowed, your eyes closed. You don't even have to sing. Just talk with the Holy Spirit and allow him to do that work in your heart. Just listen to these words.